Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Rate Specialists, Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, Blake Gwynn, Head of US Rate Strategy, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another Bondcast, um, a week where central banks are again the, the main focus, I would say. I know we've talked about them a lot in the past few weeks, but with um, important Fed meetings and, and the Bank of England and obviously the market still digesting last week's ECB and, and the TLTRA data um, on Thursday morning, there's a lot to talk about on the central bank front. So before we get stuck into the Fed and the Bank of England, perhaps we'll just um, first go to you, Giles, in Europe, and you can give us um, um, an updated uh, roundup of your views um, following the ECB meeting last week. Thanks very much, Imogen. Yeah, it's really quite simple, to be honest, and broadly the same as last week. Um, you know, we are more positive on, in fact, considerably more positive on European rates, um, directly as a result of the fact that the ECB has told us that they are concerned about the rise in um, in, in rates. And you know, that was actually a message that was doubled down on this morning by Lagarde. So, you know, I think it's, we're, we're still waiting really to see what that really means in in practice uh, you know the nitty-gritty of you know flows how much are they actually doing how hard are they really pushing in the other, other direction um, but at the moment we're not really inclined to to fight them so you know watch this space and i dare say that it could change in the in, in the next sort of few weeks or you know even sooner than that potentially but as i say we're, we're broadly a lot more positive and that includes possibly um, a, a bit of a bias towards lower rates um, given what everything else is happening in the uh, in the world, and you know, this week especially, you know that has continued to dominate. So, you know, with a relatively low sensitivity, we've continued to follow the U.S. higher in rates, and no, I don't think we should be or, you know, particularly surprised by by the fact that there is still sensitivity. I mean, that's not going to go away. Um, no, so just you know, to, to to round it up, I mean we're we're still looking for European rates, especially to outperform other markets. Um, you'll, you'll hear from the US and the UK side in just a second. Looking for curve steepeners as part of that. We're looking for asset swap widening, uh, that is swap rates um, rising faster than bond rates, and um, yeah, we're I guess broadly relatively positive on uh, on on credit. So I guess that that positive credit or positive was boosted this morning, um, on Thursday morning, that is, by the uh, much larger than expected TLTRO take-up. Um, do you have any thoughts on that or, or share what we're thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, I wonder whether maybe I should just very quickly say what the TLTRO is. I mean, these are lending operations that the ECB um, carries out in, in it's, it's a bit of a kind of carrot for banks. Um, their banks have access to this facility if they're good and they expand their lending to the right kind of borrowers, i.e. Yeah, um, you know, non-financial companies around the euro area. And um, now they're very advantageous in terms of the rate that they offer, assuming the uh, the borrower is actually you know, is, is doing what the ECB wants them to do. Um, so the, the bottom line is that 
it took about the European banks took about 330 billion euros. That sounds like a lot. It is a lot. It's um, and and it, and that's about 315 of genuinely new money. So I guess the question is always, what do they do with that? And there are lots of answers there. But you know, one of the things that we always suspect is that they try to find assets to buy to uh, effectively do a carry trade. And that, I suppose, will be one of the things that they'll be looking at very carefully. And so that should be supportive for credit and um, European sort of higher yielding government issuers. Thanks. And, and thanks for that explanation. I perhaps should have done that myself before just launching straight into the acronym. Um, so just sticking with Europe, for the time being, because I think the other key story this week, although it hasn't necessarily played out in markets as much, they've clearly been very dominated by, by the central bank story and, and what's going on in the US, as you said. But uh, something we've been talking about a lot and, and looking into a lot is this vaccine story. Um, I should say that we're recording this on Thursday and we're waiting for the um, EMA announcement on the um, uh, safety of the AZ vaccine, which is probably going to happen as soon as we finish recording. So we don't have the luxury of, of knowing what they've said there, but do we think that this um, is a game changer in terms of vaccine distribution and what it means for our recovery assumptions for the rest of the year? Um, should Europe, is this just a kind of um, small hurdle that, that we think will be overcome or how is it changing or, or not changing what we're thinking about the recovery for the rest of the year? Yeah, you're right. This is something that we've been watching very carefully all, all week. And you know, it seems to be something people want to talk a lot about. Um, you know, we don't, as you say, know what the outcome of the EMA um, assessment is going to be. But I think we assume that they will recommend that we continue with it. And then, but what people are really focused on is what does this mean for vaccine hesitancy in Europe? It, you know, I think that there was a sense that it was maybe going in the right direction. Um, you know, just as people see millions and millions of their compatriots getting vaccinated and you know, that generally being a force for good, um, you know, this seems to be a bit of a step in the wrong direction. And you know, so, so, you know, I, I think it's hard to get away from that conclusion, to, to be honest. Um, you know, Astra is, you know, is a minority of the, um, of, of the vaccines being used, but I, I suppose that it probably will uh, set us back a little bit. Nonetheless, um, you know, I've repeated and I'll say again that I actually think that despite the fact that the UK and the US are well ahead of the euro area in terms of their vaccine um, programs at the moment, I still think that we will... Um, sort of relax restrictions in a sort of a, in a, on a similar kind of time frame. So I, I still think that we're looking at um, that these you know, sort of barriers coming down in in Europe broadly by the summer. Um, so I'm not actually that sure that we'll see that much of a differentiation um, specifically on that. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Charles. Okay, so moving over to, to the US then, because the Fed has certainly was the, the main story, well, overnight for us in Europe, <laughs> not overnight for you, Brian. Um, we've kind of said it was a, a very dovish Fed with everything that we were really looking for in terms of the guidance and the dot plots, etc. Perhaps you can just give us a, a quick summary on, on what the key takeaways from, from their message really was yesterday. Absolutely, and thanks for having me on. So the key message from the Fed yesterday was, or on Wednesday, I should say, for those listening uh, later on, 
was that we plan on being extremely accommodative for as long as needed and really trying to reinforce that. Really, the, the thing I think you really need to look at to see the Fed's reaction is the growth and in inflation forecast being revised up notably, to use Powell's words, and then also the dot plot, which showed the median FOMC participant expects no rate hikes through the entire forecast profile all the way through the end of 2023. So what that essentially means is the Fed is anticipating stronger growth, anticipating stronger inflation, in fact, above 2% inflation as part of their forecast profile, but that did not prompt them to move their expectations higher in a meaningful way for rate hikes. And so the message that the market got from the Fed, particularly on Wednesday's price action, was that they're trying to push back against this idea that they're going to move preemptively. And there's one quote I want to read from Powell's press conference that I think really summarized this well. He was asked about inflation. He said, look, we're not going to move based on potential inflation. We need to see real inflation. And the specific quote he said was, the fundamental change in our framework is that we are not going to act preemptively based on forecasts for the most part, and we are going to wait to see actual data. I think it will take people time to adjust to that and to adjust to that new practice. The only way we can really build the credibility of that is by doing it. And that's really what he, what the Fed did today is that they tried to build the credibility to essentially putting themselves kind of behind the curve, as we used to say, um, showing that they're willing to wait until you see the actual data trying to push back against this idea that they're going to move preemptively just because forecasts are getting better. And so the market reaction to that uh, on Wednesday was clearly quite dovish. I think in retrospect, we didn't think the medium was going to move up, but I think it's clear that the market's base case is probably a lot more balanced in favor of maybe that dot showing um, at least one rate hike, if not more on the profile in 2023 and suggesting that the Fed sees themselves in that process of beginning to talk about rate hikes. But since we're not there yet, that initial reaction was, was certainly quite dovish. Okay, so we had this kind of dovish reaction, but we're seeing curves steepen quite a lot today. And from an outsider looking in, it seems to me like it was almost a similar message and, and similar kind of key takeaway for the markets that they're not going to shift on policy in a hawkish direction anytime soon. But that kind of longer term outlook is, is much better and, and certainly much better in the US than it was in Europe. But in Europe, they shift to, to the outlook being more balanced, which lends itself to, to a steepener. Would you agree it's, it's the same in the US? Do you think that the kind of market interpretation and, and the steepness that we're seeing is, is a go with? Yes, I think that's right. I mean, I think what the Fed is telling you is that one, they expect to leave rates at extremely low levels for longer than the market expects and really trying to change the way the market thinks about how to price rate hikes in response to improvements in data expected or realized. But then there's also the other side of it, which is how does Powell react to the, you know, to the moves in the market? And you know, we talked about the European Central Bank before clearly standing in the way of that. The Fed continues to take a very sort of nonchalant stance on market moves. Instead of looking at simply US Treasury markets, they continue to talk about a broad range of financial conditions. You know, you haven't really seen significant disruption in equity markets. You haven't seen signs of strain, you know, uh, significant signs of strain in funding markets and, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, the Fed has the benefit of 
the fiscal impulse that's coming and the relatively fast pace of vaccinations, maybe along with the UK, the US is kind of leading, you know, places like Europe don't really have the luxury of getting the big fiscal boost from the U from the US or you know the, the the positivity coming from the relatively fast pace of vaccination. So I think it's wholly appropriate for the Fed to say this move is happening for good reasons while Europe stands and says, well, hang on a second, you know, uh, this is happening too far too fast. I think that's wholly consistent with the outlooks in these two economies right now. That might change over time. Um, you know, as Giles mentioned, you maybe you do have the Europe, you know, Europe reopening at a relatively similar pace, even though you've had these disruptions regarding, um, you know, vaccinations. Um, but I think it's wholly consistent. Look, when Powell says, we're not worried yet, that's really an invitation for the market to continue to price in the direction it has. And, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense that the that the dovish reaction in the market, you know, particularly the belly, looks to have been short-lived. The reflation trade is what's fueling a lot of this, and that's being fueled by growth and fiscal stimulus. And what Powell says on a particular day doesn't really stop those factors. Um, vaccination is still ongoing. U.S. growth still, you know, increasingly becoming a leader in the global recovery. And so, uh, I think it. I think the price action we've seen kind of since the Fed moving in towards steepeners and pressure coming back on the rates market, I think is still wholly consistent with the overall themes that we've been seeing. Okay, that makes sense. And, and just one more thing I wanted to ask on the Fed. Um, I know this is really Blake's thing, but <laughs> Blake's not with us today. So uh, perhaps you can just comment on um, whether there was any update on the SLR extension. So the Fed essentially refused to comment on the SLR extension. Powell said on Wednesday that you're going to have a decision on that in coming days and really didn't want to preview that. And, you know, to borrow from, from Blake's language, sort of pre-Fed, the fact that this is not only the Fed's decision, we felt that it was going to be unlikely that it was going to be announced alongside uh, the monetary policy announcements as we got, because it's, you know, it's, it's a number of regulators all making this decision. And so, sort of overarching the monetary policy decision with a decision on the SLR, which is not a Fed exclusive decision, uh, never really made as that much sense to us. And so I think it's not surprising that we didn't get a decision at the FOMC meeting, maybe a bit surprising and disappointing certainly to some that Powell was unwilling to even give a hint. They've played this very close to the vest in terms of Powell uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, when he had spoken, he was asked about that in his interview with the Wall Street Journal uh, before the Fed's quiet period really refused uh, to speak on that. Um, and also at the FOMC meeting, uh, essentially refused to comment and said, look, we'll have a response in the coming days, uh, but they didn't give us anything on the SLR at the FOMC decision uh, on Wednesday. Okay, maybe that's something we'll have a decision by next week then when, when Blake's back and we can pick it up with him. Thanks, Brian. So <clears throat> shifting over to the UK then where we've had another big, uh, well, I suppose they're always big, but we've had another central bank meeting um, on Thursday morning. They too took a very um, opposite stance to the ECB. I mean, their message is, is actually that despite the rise that we've seen in yields, financial conditions aren't tightening um, really at all. So um, I guess that, they're not on, on the market moves that we've seen. Um, Theo, you updated your forecast a, a few weeks ago to 1%. Perhaps you can talk us through how you're feeling about that forecast now in, in the wake of, of the Bank of England's uh, monetary policy meeting. Huh. 
maybe I will have to update it again. Who knows? So I think let, 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 let's go and speak seriously about the meeting. So the most important part is what has not been said, not what has been said. And we didn't see any sign of any concerns with regards to the tightening of financial conditions. In fact, the minutes state that financial conditions are broadly unchanged, which is interesting. So for the BOE, nothing fundamental has changed. That's one. Two, obviously inflation expectations at the front of the curve have moved higher. That is not being mentioned as a concern either. We did not get a signal with regards to tightening. So we get again the same textbook theme as by the Fed. Commodative policy, dovish signaling, at the same time, no support for the back end of the curve. And the Fed was actually very telling yesterday because uh, Powell pretty much refused to talk about operation twist. And in the UK, it is similar. We have the BOE that does not provide any supportive signal for the back end of the curve. In fact, we'll be debating when the first round of tapering will be. So our view is that this will happen in May. Uh, we thought that it would happen in March, uh, but we were wrong. So it happens in May. Um, the important part is that the BOE wants to follow the consensus. Basically, we thought maybe they, uh, they surprised the consensus. They didn't. So the market didn't move on the not delivery of tapering. But it looks likely that uh, in May there is, um, you know, there are strong chances of a slowdown uh, in the pace of purchase. What does it mean? Well, it means that basically the important, the main buyer of gilts now will be buying less. At the same time, it means that when we look at net TV1 and the numbers, those numbers will be getting higher. Even though gross issuance is a lot lower than in the previous year, so we go down from 485 billion to 297 billion, the important part is that the pace of purchase is likely to fall. So we talk about a reduction from 4.5 billion a week to something like 3.6 billion a week. Is it significant? Yes, because a lot of those purchases take place at the back end of the curve. So what we have is really a central bank that is not concerned about the evolution of the market. Since they are happy with that, then the market will continue in this way, which means continuation of the current sell-off. So for us, 1% is a very likely target. The question is, at one point, the Bank of England allows an overshoot, an overcheapening of the market, because this is what we'll be playing next. So this is really a summary on, and, and th this are probably the main points in the UK from the Bank of England. I think inflation expectations, still not a concern. I think it will be interesting if we get any shift from, um, from, from the BOE with regards to upside inflation risk. So this is one which is a possibility. Um, and then the other big question is uh, what happens with the timing of the hikes? So this is probably the other big theme. Okay, you, you touched on um, something a, a few minutes ago that I just wanted to kind of pick back up because it's something that, well, Giles and I get asked all the time with relation to the ECB and, and the level of rates. You know, you have this 1% target in 10-year gilts and so far, 
um, with the, you know, the significant move high that we've seen in guilt yields, the Bank of England haven't pushed back against that, as we've just discussed. They don't think that financial conditions have tightened. Is there a level of yields at which you think they will start to reconsider that stance that, you know, financial mm-hmm. conditions are tightening and a, a level at which they might start to push back? Is that 1%? Is that why that's your target? Or do you think that they could even go further than that? Most likely they will go even further than that. The question is, um, we know that there will be, at some point there will be a huge reallocation out of equities into fixed income, simply because equities have done well, fixed income is cheap, so this this flow will stop the current momentum. The Bank of England right now just allows the market to cheapen, and pension schemes just are happy with the current with the current move. Is there a target? It is really hard to pinpoint because we thought, and when we did the analysis with regards to the 0.75%, we thought that that would be a good level. That would be a significant level of steepness that should make the Bank of England worry. However, significant part of the cheapening and the steepening was imported. It came from the US market, right? So the UK did its own idiosyncratic cheapening. At the same time, it cheapened because, well, because of what happened to treasuries. And the very interesting part is that we did not see an increase in volatility. So to answer your question, is there a number? It is very hard to pinpoint the number. Will it be somewhere between 1% to 1.5%? Most likely. But this is, again, a wide range. I think we look for qualitative indicators. We look for higher delivered volatility. We look for a collapse in in, 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 in some inflation expectations because of that volatility, we look for a disorderly market. So if we have that disorderly market condition, a drop in equities would be also a good example. Then the Bank of England would start to worry. But as it is, they seem to be fairly happy, which means that guilds have got the green light to cheapen further. So to us, the assessment is a lot more qualitative rather than quantitative simply because you know, we need to reach a level where the background and the conditions warrant and prevent further sell-off. Yeah, that that makes sense. I, I think really that's the message for, for all central banks, isn't it? It's less about one yeah. specific level of yields or, or rates and much more about how those yield moves kind of fit into the overall picture and, and the market conditions in, in other asset classes as well and, and how that all comes together to either ease or tighten financial conditions. Okay, well, great. Thank you, everyone, for joining. And special thanks to Brian for being our our special guest in the US this week. Um, Sounds like there's a lot to keep up with this week. I'm sure, Theo, we're at, where are we now? 88 basis points. So it won't be long before we're at that 1% target. Perhaps we'll be reviewing that again next week. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Catch up next week. Fingers (laughs) crossed. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.